Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to a new episode of Talk Back with C.E. Moore. Uh, you're listening in to the first of three parts of an interview I conducted with Dr. David Kinneman, the president of Barna Research Group, discussing his newest book, You Lost Me, Why Young Christians Are Leaving Church and Rethinking Faith. As uh, you know, I uh, sent you an email saying that I just finished reading You Lost Me. Yep. And uh, loved reading it. Uh, lots of good information, especially for the context uh, in which I'm working. Uh, so it's... Uh, spawned a lot of questions. I actually talked to some of the staff at my church. I was like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm interviewing David Kimmon. They're like, from Barna? I was like, yeah, from Barna. They're like, yeah, uh, we have questions. So I got some <laughs> questions from them and some questions from me just based on uh, on my reading. And so, uh, again, so let's, uh, let's, let's dive right in, I guess. Um, I know that a lot of people have heard the name uh, Barna, uh, Barna Research, and it seems that we often kind of hear uh, Gallup or Barna in the media. What is it exactly that uh, that Barna does? From a practical standpoint, we do uh, a lot of public opinion research, uh, trying to understand people's opinions and, and you know perceptions of different issues. Um, and so we're a research company that's trying to you know educate the church about culture. And okay. and we're also because we do research, we're able to educate the culture about the Christian community. And so, um, from a kind of a scriptural standpoint, we like to say that um, we are um, trying to help people understand the times and know what to do, which is comes from this uh, reference in First Chronicles twelve thirty two that the tribe of Issachar understood the times and knew what the nation of Israel should do. So, in a similar way, we're trying to help Christians understand our times. Okay. Um... Now, your previous volume was called Unchristian, uh, What a New Generation Really Thinks About Christianity and Why It Matters. Uh, and that's actually a book that was assigned as a textbook when I was in college. So I had a chance to read that, and then this one came out. Uh, and that book kind of took uh, a look at what outsiders think of Christianity and how they perceive Christians, the good, the bad, and the ugly, but mainly, mainly the ugly. Right. Uh, and your newest book, You Lost Me, takes a look at why young Christians seem to be leaving the church en masse, kind of never to return. Uh, what precipitated researching uh, this particular phenomenon, the, the exodus of, of young people from the church? Well, in some ways, we actually started this before on Christian. We, we were looking at this notion of, of you know, the sustainability of discipleship um, prior to the, the work behind you lost, behind uh, Unchristian. And so, um, you know, it was, I think consistent with our interest. Both both of the books were consistent with our interest in understanding youth and young adults, and you know, kind of how well the church was preparing them uh, for you know life in the quote unquote real world, and um, so recognizing you know kind of the consistencies between those two those two bits of work was was really the connecting point for us. Okay, now um, now you break people leaving the church into three distinct categories. Uh, nomads and prodigals are, are those who are just kind of leaving, uh, kind of never to return. And then you've got exiles, uh, which are people who are leaving the, kind of more leaving the institutional church, but not necessarily leaving the fold of the faith itself. Um, can you explain this a little for our, for our listeners? How do you differentiate between these, these three different uh, groups? The, um, yeah, the nomads are those that have left their faith in the institutional church um, so they still call themselves Christians, but they're no longer attending church or very active in a Christian community. 
Um, and then the, the prodigals are those that lose their faith entirely. They, they say they're an ex-Christian or they used to be Christian and are no longer. Uh, and then the, the people who are, are um, exiles are those who feel sort of stuck between the comfortable world of church that they knew growing up and, and the larger culture that they feel called to influence. And so a lot of times it feels like a disconnection between their calling and their faith for these exiles. Uh, many of them have given up on an institutional experience of church, but, but many of them have not. Uh, they just feel as though they have to live you know, one, one brain Monday through Saturday and then another brain on Sunday you know, at church. And so um, there's this sort of disconnect there. So uh, you know, again, the idea of, of exiles comes from Scripture. Uh, actually, all three of these do. You know, the story of the prodigal son, someone who you know walks away from their parents' faith. Uh, the story of a nomad who you know still feels faithful, but may be less faithful than they think of, think of themselves. And then the exile, someone who you know was sort of taken out of you know one way of life, like Daniel, you know, pressed into service in the Babylonian you know regime, and uh, you know having to make make sense of faithfulness in a brand new context. So th- those three three were some of the most common you know, journeys of faith that we found in the research. Now, I want to take a look now then at uh, the disconnections that you, that you draw. You kind of have this uh, disconnection, reconnection paradigm that you set up at the beginning of uh, each of the chapters in this, in this next section of the book. And I don't want to go uh, too far into it because I, I think it's an important read and I do want people to read it, but I do want to kind of trek through some of the disconnections that young people are having, this kind of this 18 to 29 demographic um, obviously, you know, give or take a year on either side of that. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about uh, the first uh, the first disconnection that comes up as uh, Christians and the church being overprotective, which seems to me to kind of uh, mirror uh, the chapter about Christians being um, perceived as sheltered and unchristian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so kind of, kind of some of the same parallels there, some of the thing, same things brought out. But the church is kind of seen as overprotective. What are some ways that the church has been overprotective, and how was that later perceived by those who walk away? I mean, you've talked about how, how it's perceived by those outside. How is it later perceived by those who were part but decided to no longer be a part of it? Well, I think the idea of overprotectiveness is, you know, you hear a lot about helicopter parents who, you know, hover around uh, their children, you know, trying to prevent them from having any kind of risk in the world. And I think, you know, you see some similar kinds of themes emerge from younger Christians, and they they don't ever use this phrase, but sort of helicopter Christians or helicopter churches that, you know, don't want anything bad to happen. And, you know, actually we we see a lot of stories from the research of of young people and parents who now don't want to go to Mexico, for instance, on on youth mission trips because of the violence that's, that's happening across the border. And again, it's not for me to judge any parent or student or student ministry uh, for you know the kind of the things they do or don't do. And and you know I think I'd think twice as a parent about sending you know my my kids uh, into that kind of environment. The, the the larger question though is what do we what do we recognize as part of what it means to be a Christ follower? And at what point then do we think that risk and that discernment and that you know following what the Lord is telling us to do uh, is worth was worth is worth doing, and you know, I think one of the most most heartbreaking parts of that was um, this idea that it, it almost felt like young people were saying they they actually see more risk in scripture, they see people of faith taking more risks in scripture than they do right. in the church. Absolutely, and 
that's that's always been one of those uh, tensions for me because I'm in that I'm I guess I'm just outside of the demographic now, but that was still a, a tension for me is seeing all of these uh, kind of crazy things and the type of faith that people had to have in scripture and then going to church and it was kind of like, wow, this is nothing like you know what I'm reading about on uh, you know on a daily basis when I'm reading scripture. This is, my church experience is nothing like this. Uh, or when I suggest that our church experience should be anything like this, I'm told that I'm kind of uh, rocking the boat or I don't understand because I'm young and, and yada, yada, yada. And there's right. some merit to that, but also there's uh, not a lot of merit to that, which uh, kind of takes us into the that next chapter of uh, church kind of being a place that's shallow and people wanting to leave out of shallow waters and into a deeper faith, and they don't feel like they can do that uh, in the established, organized, uh, church, and uh, one, a few things that you brought up that kind of contribute to the to the shallowness of uh, the organized church is this kind of this focus on a mass production of disciples and uh, missing particular uh, particular rituals and expecting too little of people, and then uh, this idea of uh, quantity over quality. How do you how do you feel like we can turn the tide from shallowness, this idea of shallowness, to apprenticeship? Well, it's, it's I think, an uh, uh, underlying philosophy of what we think about success in ministry. Um, and so you mentioned some of the things that I think are at the front and center of our philosophical approaches to, to discipling, you know, trying to, to you know, cram as many people into our youth ministry programs or our camps or other things. Um, you know, I think I think uh, our our goals ought to be, you know, the response to each of these things that we just talked about with with overprotectiveness, you know, turning towards discernment. That the, the the reasons that young people are leaving ought to cause the church to think new thoughts about about faithfulness and about how do we really disciple. Again, I'm not taking a poll just to say how, how do we appeal to the sensibilities of this next generation, but what if the concerns of this generation are actually causing the church to think. You know about discipleship in a new way, in a in a healthy and biblical way, and or at least it should. And and so when you think about the issue of shallowness, I think the response there is one of of personal and and um, you know one on one ministry and the kind of apprenticeship that occurred in Jesus' ministry. And you know so often I think the the larger critique that we could offer and, and describe about the church is that we've used some of the you know the methods of the world, i.e. You know, trying to use mass media and other things. Not that those are inherently evil or wrong. It's just, what if those things are not actually producing the kinds of Christ followers that we we intend? And um, you know, there's got to be a better, more thoughtful, more personal way that we could do that. Now, the the next chapter, anti-science, for me is probably uh, the most dicey, and not personally but also personally. It's kind of strange. I guess I'll explain. Uh, in terms of science, I grew up, and I, I think you probably grew up in the, in the same era. I'm 32. I'm not sure how old you are, but um, I grew up in that era where the church was very much at odds uh, with science. It was almost like, uh, almost to me, like, you know, what the church did with Galileo. You know, it's like they wanted to excommunicate anybody who had anything to do with science or suggested anything other than what our understanding of the Bible uh, said and so for me that was kind of weird to grow up in, but it was really weird in that I am very much a 
history English person. You give me a sentence and I can diagram the heck out of it. You give me dates and dead people and places and I am all over it, especially anything with the early American Republic. Science and math, I'm just, I'm not good at it at all. And so I've always kind of been afraid to approach it, not knowing how to deal with it. And then on the other side of that, you've got the church kind of demonizing uh, science. And you've got now young people who are interested in science or growing up in a science-saturated culture uh, who are leaving the church because they feel like the church uh, is dead set against science because it, uh, I guess it erodes the faith, as, uh, as the church seems to say, you know, the church is against evolution. Um, what has been the uh, the experience that you've uh, you've kind of chronicled here, and uh, what's uh, what's a way of turning the tide here in, in this uh, anti-science view of the church? Well, I th yeah, I think you've hit on a lot of the you know the big beats of of what we've discovered in the research, and um, I think your story is is one that is emblematic of a lot of the things that we've discovered, and that is when a person isn't interested in science, um, and and you know, to be honest, a lot of our work with senior pastors and faith leaders is that you know they they they, they some have a, a you know a marginal interest or you know a passing fancy or some particular proclivity towards science, but most of them don't. They they're really humanities people, and um and and you know that's that's great. You know that's God's vocation and calling for them and and their particular gifting. Um, what we really discovered is that you know because everyone has their own unique. Um, perspectives and, and challenges and, and, you know, causes for disconnection um, and, and, and really their own giftings, those who are interested in science or medicine or engineering or any of the kind of right-brained activities, uh, mathematics, some of the hard sciences, uh, biology, chemistry, um, there, there really does seem to be for them uh, this more intense tension about how to live faithfully as Someone who's who's you know uh, good at science or good at math, and and does you know the right brain world fit with our sort of left brain experiences of faith? And even though you know you could talk about sort of systematic theology and you know some of the the, the, the right brain ways that we've approached faith, and, and you know really some good things of apologetics. Um, in, in a lot of ways, those are just insufficient. They're 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 good, but they're insufficient in addressing some of the questions that this next generation is asking because they're pursuing issues of science so personally. Um, so, you know, that was our conclusion. You know, 52% of young church-going teenagers are interested in, in careers related to science, uh, some of the ones we just mentioned in terms of medicine and engineering and other sciences, and, and yet only 1% of youth pastors had talked about issues of science in the last year in the context of youth ministry. And, again, it's not that the youth ministry needs to turn into a science class, but if we're not willing to talk about these things and how they intersect our vocations and the kinds of people, the kinds of careers, the kinds of you know giftings that we have, we're we're certain to lose even more young science-minded people. Um, and 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 then more broadly, beyond that whole issue of vocation and a person's calling, is that of um, you know the broader science-dominated culture that we live in, that all of us are immersed in, and how do we you know talk and think prophetically about the role of faith in, in that kind of culture, and, and all of us are influenced, you know, in, in enormous ways. Some some things were clear that are they're clearly in front of us in terms of the food we eat and the technology that we use, 
uh, and other things that we may be unaware of in terms of our aspirations to live long, healthy, you know, um, good lives with, you know, trim waist sizes and perfect sized noses and, you know, being able to reproduce uh, in, in, you know, whatever time frame we'd like to do, you know, even into our into our 40s and 50s and, um, you know, or, or, you know, maybe being able to, to you know, reproduce whether or not we're married. Uh, you know, we can, we can you know, uh, choose to have children pretty much in any circumstance in life now um, because the science allows us to do that. So these questions are front and center not only for the generation of, of young scientists but also for all of us as Christians and as humans living in, you know, this science-dominant culture. So the church's ability to deal with that um, and, and not to be antagonistic or, uh, you know, at, at, at best just silent on these issues is really, I think, the, the critical issue facing us when it comes to science. And you're right, it is dicey, but it's critical.